Erica, if you guys got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 5. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 5. Uh, we've been walking through this series. I am so grateful I didn't get to preach or didn't have the opportunity to preach last week because, man, I hate preaching on Ananias and Sapphira. Then, like, coming to church and hear that God kills people who don't give enough money, right? So, so that, not only was that hard, but how many of you remember Joe's joke from last week? Building. Yeah. Now, I want to thank you, first of all, because it's the 930 service that gets recorded and put online. I want to thank you for not laughing at that, okay? Because I listened last week. I wasn't able to be here in person, but I listened I listened to it through the app. And there was only about four of you that laughed at the joke. So thank you for that. We pray for your pastor that, he can, that his sense of humor will come back. Because he thinks those are funny, right? Like, it's awful. It's awful, right? So we're in Acts chapter, we're in Acts chapter five. I was, I was blessed with an incredible, uh, opportunity last weekend. Uh, my sister, um, and her husband live up in St. Louis. And, uh, my sister is like me. We love to drive. We like to take, we, we've always had a, a, the idea that if we weren't doing what we were doing, we would be, uh, truck drivers, over the road truck drivers, because we love to drive. We love to see the country. And she planned a trip for her and her husband to go to Napa Valley from St. Louis. Problem was, she planned the trip driving, round trip, from St. Louis to Napa Valley and then driving back. And I don't know if you know, but that's 2,000, about 2,300 miles, okay? Most of you don't even like to drive to Flagler County to eat, okay? It's too far, right? So her husband did not want to drive round trip to Napa Valley and back, and he did not want to do it with her, Okay? But he didn't want her to go alone, and so she asked me, and he asked me if I would go up and ride with my sister to Sacramento was where I got out to get on a plane to come home. And so I had the opportunity to do just that. I got a chance to to fly up to St. Louis and drive almost across country with my sister, and what an amazing, amazing trip. I don't know if you've ever driven out that way, but if you ever get a chance to drive from Cheyenne, Wyoming on Interstate 80 to Sacramento up through that way, it is absolutely worth your time. What an amazing, an amazing, an amazing trip it was. But here was the problem. I had an agenda and my sister had an agenda. There were some amazing things that we saw, right? Here's, here was, here was the one thing that I really wanted to do along the trip. Now, it was 2,150 miles from St. Louis roughly to Sacramento, which meant we had to drive that in two days and about four hours for me to catch my plane. That meant there was no time to stop. I mean, we drove from St. Louis to Cheyenne, Wyoming the first day, and we were on the road for 15 hours. It was a long trip and a long day. And then we had to drive from Cheyenne to Winnemucca, Nevada. Then we had to get up at Winnemucca and drive to Sacramento. But this is the one place I really wanted to see. This is Donner's Pass. How many of you are familiar with Donner's Pass, right? I wanted to go because you can get off the road, you can take the Donner Road, you can go up and drive through Donner's Pass. I really, really wanted to see Donner's Pass. But you know what? We didn't have time. Right? Like I had to get there. That's as close as I was able to get. The problem was my sister kept saying to me, you got, we got time. You can pull off. Let's go. Let's go. Right? She kept, she kept whispering in my ear that we had, we didn't have time. Right? But she kept saying we had time. We didn't have time. We had time to do stuff like this. Right? 
this next picture was the kind of thing we, I mean, look at that. It's just amazing how beautiful that, that's as close as we got to stuff like that. It was quick stop, take a picture, get in the car, let's go, 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 go. Because we didn't have time and we didn't stop to barely eat. My wife asked me, did you get some good food? No, we didn't get good food. We had Taco Bell, right? It was drive-thrus. It was go, go, go. That's as close as we got. But there was these competing voices in the car that kept trying to lure me away to do something else. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many conversations I have a day in my head between me and whoever that other person is. Anybody else have conversations in their head? Right? The, the, People will say that do these kind of things that the average person will hear over 30,000 words a day. I don't know about you, but I have 30,000 word conversations in my head two or three times a day over stupid things. Anybody else have those conversations in their head, right? The one voice telling you one thing, the other voice telling you another thing, right? Listen, voices matter. Right? It's like the, it's like the story of the hunter who went out and was out hunting a grizzly bear. And he finally got the grizzly in his sight to take him down. When the grizzly stood up, looked directly at the hunter and said, there's a better way to do this. (laughs) And the hunter sort of stepped back and looked at the bear and sort of lowered his rifle and said, what did you say? And the bear said, well, there's, there's a better way to do this. We can negotiate. And the hunter looked at the bear and the bear said, listen, all I want is a full belly. And the hunter said, well, all I want is a fur coat. And so they both sat down across the fire and they had a discussion. And about an hour later, the bear got up and left by himself. He had a full belly and the guy had a fur coat, right? Right? There are just, listen, there are just some, some conversations you, listen, that's a lot better than Bill Ding. I can tell you that, right? It wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was better than Bill Ding. I can tell you that, right? Listen, there are just some conversations you shouldn't have. And in Acts chapter 5 today, in those, those verses 12 through 42, we're going to see some of those conversations that take place in our lives today. And so here's the first one, Acts chapter 5, here's the first conversation. And that's the conversation that includes the voice of jealousy. Here's what it says in the passage in Acts chapter 5. So the, the Adonis and Sapphira die, they bury them, and, and imagine, right, if something like that happened here at Tomoka, what the conversation in the community would be. Lots of fear, right? Man, I don't know if you ever want to go to Tomoka because people who don't give die, right? Like, that would be, so the whole community was gripped with fear, but it says that people continued to be healed every day, and not only were they being healed, They were being healed by just having the shadow of the apostle Peter pass over them. And so people were coming, tens of thousands of people were coming from Jerusalem and surrounding villages. And here's what it says happened. The high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, right, were filled with what? They were filled with jealousy. And here's what they did. It says they arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. Jealousy. You know, I didn't, I was, I was reading through this passage, you know, trying to, trying to find the deep spiritual meaning and what we should talk about. Never, ever would have thought about focusing on jealousy until God just brought it to my attention and said, this 
That's a much greater deal than we think. You see, we live in a world where we see jealousy as, you know, somebody's going to take something of ours, right? It reminds me of the, the, the joke about Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were, were, were in the garden and Eve just began to grow increasingly aggravated at Adam because Adam kept staying out later and later at night. And so he would come home and she'd be like, Adam, where have you been? Right? Like, what are you doing? Are you seeing somebody else? And Adam would look at Eve and go, you're the only woman on the world for me, on the planet for me, right? And so they went to bed one night after this happening for multiple days and Adam woke up and Eve was poking him and poking him. And Adam woke up and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm counting your ribs, right? Take a minute, think about it, right? Right? That's how, that's how we picture, that's how we That's how we picture jealousy, right? The Greek word for jealous is the Greek word that talks about a fire, a zeal. It's it's actually the sound of water bubbling over hot water, right? It creates the picture that whatever this emotion is, it is something that that is very intense. It's something that's very overwhelming. Here's the problem with jealousy, right? And listen, you can look it up and you can do your own study, but jealousy and envy are not the same thing. Here's what the Bible says about jealousy. Proverbs 27, 4, anger is cruel. And there's, there's a reason why anger and jealousy are connected in this verse because they're very, very, very close to the same thing. Anger is cruel and fury is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy is such an insidious sin, it's considered greater in God's word than anger is. It says this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but jealousy, right? The Hebrew word there is the word for jealous, but jealousy rots the bones. Not only is the Bible tell us that jealousy is a greater sin than anger, the Bible tells us that Jealousy can rot us from the inside out. It has that kind of power. But here's the thing. It goes even deeper than that. Right? Listen to what James chapter 3 says about, about jealousy. It says, who's wise and understanding among you? Listen, there's lots of people in here, lots of people online. Big hello to everybody who's online. So glad you're there and a part of our service. Right? But there's a lot of people that would consider themselves wise. You may not admit it sitting in here because it's church and we want to be proper, right? But when you're at home arguing with your spouse, you're at home arguing with your kids, you're at work arguing with your co-workers, right? There's a lot of you that think that you're the wisest person in the conversation, right? Here's what he says. Who thinks they're wise in understanding? He says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom, Right? Listen to what he says. But if you harbor bitter envy, the Greek word for jealousy is right there. But if you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. and Don't deny the truth about it. Listen to this. Such wisdom doesn't come from heaven. That behavior is not godly. Okay. And listen, the Bible lists jealousy as a sin of the flesh. But here's what happens when it becomes bitter jealousy and turns into selfish ambition. He says that wisdom doesn't come from heaven. That's not a godly attribute. Listen to how insidious jealousy is in your life when it, re- when it exists. He says that jealousy doesn't come from heaven, but it is earthly or carnal. It is unspiritual and it is what? 
of the devil. The Bible listed as demonic. You see, there's so many... You know, I've done so much reading this week on jealousy because, listen, I, I, there are, there are, listen, acting and showing behavior, uh, sometimes that you're jealous, listen, isn't always a reflection of jealousy, right? It's a reflection of a much a completely different issue, right? But we can all act jealous at times. I'm not talking about acting jealous. I'm talking about the emotion and the feeling of jealousy. The kind of jealousy that the Bible says is more insidious than anger, that'll rot your bones from the inside out. The kind of jealousy that the Bible says that when it exists, it is demonic. It's the kind of thing that will work a spiritual work in you for the other side. Listen, I don't know where you're at, but my guess is, listen, there are lots of you sitting in here that can relate to being jealous. Whether it's jealous of... See, envy is the idea that, that, I, that I struggle with people who have good fortune, and I'm pleased when that person suffers misfortune. Right? That's envy. Jealousy is something totally different. Right? Jealousy is this intensity within you that is not just, listen, it's not just consuming of you, it's consuming of the people around you. And it's evil. It's demonic. And it's not the first time and it won't be the last time that jealousy, right, in Acts 5 gets in the way. The Bible talks about jealousy. Cain was jealous of Abel and killed him, right? The Bible says that Saul was jealous of David. The king of Israel was jealous of a 17-year-old boy, right? Because the crowd sang, right? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And the king became jealous and continually tried to kill David. See, I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at. But I can tell you this. The jealousy isn't anything to turn your nose up at. Whether it's jealousy of your neighbors, jealousy of your friends, jealousy of whatever, the reality is it's evil. And it'll destroy you and it'll destroy the people around you because it's not godly. It's completely demonic. Listen, don't listen to the voice of jealousy. Don't listen to the voice of jealousy. Here's the second voice, and that's the voice of God or man, right? So apostles are healing all these people. The Sanhedrin brings them in and arrest them, throw them in jail. They bring him before the... And listen, the Sanhedrin, they were the men. They were the ruling authority. Listen, if you wanted authority for the Jewish nation, the Sanhedrin, they were the men. They owned the rulership. And so Peter and the other apostles are brought in before the Sanhedrin. And here's what they say. We thought we told you not to be preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Right? We thought we told you not to do that. And here's what Acts 5.29. Skip 20 there, David. And let's go to verse 29. Here's what it says in Acts 5.29. Peter and the other apostles reply. Everybody, everybody in here, everybody online, read this with me. Here's their reply. We must obey God rather than men. Must obey God rather than men. Right? That's a voice that we hear all the time. Right? What voice are you going to listen to? Listen, we live in a world today where, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home for 18 years. I lived in this home and I don't think once anybody ever asked me my opinion. Like, I don't remember my mom and dad ever going, hey, what do you think about that cord? Like, that didn't happen. 
I, I, I do remember multiple times offering my opinion and it not being received well, right? I don't know if you grew up in that home, but I did, right? I remember going to, to college. I remember going to Bible college. I don't remember any professors in Bible college ever asking my opinion. I remember offering my opinion in one class. It was so unpopular, they canceled the class and kicked me out. I remember, right? Like, I remember living in a world where my opinion didn't matter because that's just the way it was back in the day that we were raised. Today, if you have a social media account and a phone and a willing parent, at 11 years old, you can be on giving your opinion to the entire stinking world. You can make a three minute, one minute TikTok video and you can have a hundred thousand followers, right? Dealing with your opinion, right? We live in a world today where you can voice your opinion no matter what. And if you find the right environment and you find the right person, right, who loves you and who thinks you're tremendous, you can voice your opinion about anything and influence all kinds of people, right? We live in a world today where that constant struggle exists. But we also live in a world today where the, the voice between God and man and honoring them is a real thing for Christian people, right? We live in a world today that is so, listen, it's so unwilling to take a stand about certain things that are important to God. That our newest, and listen, this isn't a political referendum. I didn't say this last night, but I will say it today. What I'm about to say isn't about politics. It isn't about Republican or Democrat or black and white. It's about a picture of the world that we live in. That the newest nominee for the Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America, when asked the question, can you define what a woman is, says, I cannot you see, that's the world that we're living in. We're living in a world where taking a stand about things that matter to God, we're not willing to do. And here's the problem. I expect that from the world. I expect that to take place in the world. The problem is, it's permeating our churches today. Listen, I love Tomoka for lots of reasons. I love the Bride of Christ here in Ormond for lots of reasons. I'm not talking about the employer that I work for. I'm talking about the church of Jesus that sits right here on Hand Avenue. I love that church. And one of the things I love about that church is, is we've got a group of people in here that love to take a stand. Right? We take a stand for life. Right? Every year on Right to Life, we take a stand. We support places like Resources for Women, right? And Crisis Pregnancy Centers and Grace House. We make sure that we take a stand for the poor and the impoverished. We take a stand for the widow and the orphan across the globe. We take stands for people all over America. And I love that about the Bride of Christ here in Ormond. Do you not love that about your church? Right? We take stands everywhere. But in such insidious and in such simple ways, the church is learning how not to take a stand. Because we're listening to the voice of men. We don't want to be offensive, right? We don't want to define what God defines. We don't want to define sexuality. We don't want to define what God's rep preference for sexual relationship is between a man and a woman. And when it's allowed and when it's not. We don't want to take a stand on those things. We don't want to say, oh, that's a sin. That's We don't want to take a stand on those things. Because we're so concerned about offending anybody. Because we want everybody to feel welcome to come into our church. And all of a sudden we're beginning to feel... We're beginning to feel and see, listen, this, this, pick up your phone and listen to preachers all across the globe. And you're finding people who are unwilling to take a stand. 
And the reality is we've got to become... Listen, you're going to have to take a stand. Being a Christian is not about not taking a stand. Listen to these verses. This is in... This is... I want to read this. This is from Joshua. This is from Joshua chapter 24. At the end of Joshua's life, after wandering in the wilderness, right, with Moses and then taking the Israelites across the promised land. In Joshua 24, he says to them as he's getting ready to depart. He says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Listen to what he says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Joshua says this, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Elijah said the same thing. Yeah, you can clap for that. Elijah said the same thing. Elijah takes takes his fight to the top of Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. And he takes all the prophets of Baal, the false god. And he brings them on the mountain. And here's what Elijah says. Elijah says, Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled all the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah said this. He went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Listen, we live in a world today that's trying to tell you as a believer, listen to us. Don't be offensive, right? Be tolerant, be accepting. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. It is possible. It's 100% possible for you and I to take a stand for Jesus and still be tolerant and accepting of people. You don't have to compromise one for the other. And whether you're raising teenagers, right, or whether you're involved in in your community in some other ways, or if you're just a grandparent, or if you just... Listen, the world needs people who are willing to take a stand. Because listen, I'm going to tell you something. The the enemy's not afraid to take a stand. The enemy is not afraid to take a stand for what what they believe in. I mean, just watch what's happening, right? Pick up a newspaper or pick up a a phone or an iPad and look on social media. Listen, the reality is the world's not afraid to take a stand for what it believes in. There's nothing wrong with you and I taking a stand for what we believe in. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. You either work with me or you work against me. The church of Jesus needs to take a stand. Peter said... Listen, Warner, we got to choose. And we're going to obey God rather than men. And the word obey there is the Greek word about putting things in the right order. What Peter is saying is there is something that has right of first priority. And here's the right of first priority. We're always going to obey God over the voices of men. It's time for the church to do just the same thing. And whether you're a parent, grandparent, whether you're just just a, an individual who loves what they do and where they serve. Listen, if you love Jesus, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you taking a stand. Right? We've got to learn how to take a stand. But here's the last voice. So listen, I don't want, I would love to end the sermon there and rah, rah you and rally you. Listen, let's march out of here and take our stands. Right? But then, listen, remember, what's our goal? Our goal isn't to take the stand. Our goal is to see people come to faith in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen, this isn't about, listen, this is not about winning a fight. And this is not about being right in the fight. And this isn't about even taking that stand. 
Listen, you've got to take a stand because the God that we serve demands that you choose. Stop wavering. For some of you watching online, for some of you in the air, this is what the sermon boils down to. It's time to get off the fence. It's time to choose your side. It's time to take your stand. But that's not our mission. The mission is to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. So there's a third voice, and it's this voice. It's the voice of suffering well or suffering poorly. You see, because after this confrontation, they were ready to kill the apostles. Scripture tells us in Acts 5, they were so enraged at this response, they wanted to kill them. And a man named Gamaliel steps in and has a conversation and passes on what, what passes as a pearl of wisdom. And the Sanhedrin listened to them. And so the Sanhedrin decided to call off the dogs, right? And here's what happens in verse 40. It says, Gamaliel's speech persuaded them to not kill him, right? So win for the apostles. But look what they did. They called the apostles in and had them what? Flogged. That Greek word there means to be skinned. They were beaten so severely with a whip, more than likely with a whip 39 times, right? One less than 40 required by the Jewish law, right? 39 times they were beaten. Every apostle, 39 lashes across the back that were so severe that their back was literally skinned from the beating. All for preaching in the name of Jesus. And look what it says happened. It says they ordered them, the Sanhedrin ordered the apostles not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then after the beating, they let them go. Look what the apostles did. They left the Sanhedrin. What? Rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then it says this. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. We get offended by one little thing and we're off and running. Our mouth is writing checks that we just can't cash. We're bashing people and saying negative things about them. Oh, because we're the victim and though so-and-so doesn't like me and so-and-so didn't treat me well and so-and-so and we're off and running. As long as we can find an audience, we'll make our stand and we won't ever suffer well. You see, here's the problem with not suffering well. It's a terrible representation of Jesus Christ. Man, it may be a great representation of you, but it doesn't represent our Savior well at all. You see, the reality is this. Listen, <laughs> I love driving, but I'm probably not a very patient driver. Right? There's generally a running commentary in my car. Most of it is probably negative. If, if I was less inclined or more inclined, there would be more expletives, right? Because people are stupid behind the wheel, okay? I'm clearly the only smart driver on the road. Okay? And it annoys me beyond measure. Right? That's how easily I can be offended. I pay, you know, because of the McDonald's app, I pay a dollar six for my iced coffee because right now it's on sale for 99 cents. So I shell out a dollar six, a dollar six for my iced coffee. And if they don't make it right, I'm offended. Right? I mean, I'm watching through the window with hawk eyes because I know the ingredients. 
six pumps of syrup, two squirts of cream, full cup of ice, fill it with coffee, stir it, and give it to the good guy at the window, right? And yet I watch them all the time, six pumps, seven pumps, eight pumps, nine pumps, and they're just chatting away at their friend, and I'm like, it's a dollar six for crying out loud, right? It's a, it, we get so offended so easily because we don't, listen, we don't know how to suffer well. Listen, if I can say anything to you with all of my heart, listen, I want us to be people who take a stand. There are things that matter to God that have to matter to us. And it's time for us to stop wavering between two opinions. There are some things that are just not hard to figure out. There are some things that are just easy to take a stand on. You don't need a PhD or a Bible college education to know what God takes a stand on. And it's time for Christians to take a stand. But listen, I am begging you. Don't make taking a stand the mission. Make seeing people come to Jesus the mission. And learn how to take a stand well. These people got beaten to within an inch of their life for standing in the name of Jesus. And you know what they did? Instead of flipping these men the bird and calling them names and going to social media and ranting about them or telling our favorite person, oh, they were so mean to me, right? And trying to get people to rout. No, the Bible says they did two things. They focused on rejoicing because they were worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. And they put their heads down. And from day to day and house to house, they kept telling people about Jesus. Listen. If you think the mission is about being right in a world that's wrong, you're off base. The mission isn't about being right. The mission is about seeing people find Jesus. Being right won't get you into heaven knowing Jesus will. So what do Christians do when they suffer for doing right? They suffer well. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3. It says this. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even, listen to this, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are, man, we don't often see that, do we? We suffer for doing right, and then we're indignant. Like, I was just doing the right thing. He says, you're blessed. Check this out. Don't fear what they fear, and don't be frightened, he says. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared. Listen to what you should be prepared to give an answer for. When you're suffering for doing right, here's what you should be prepared to give an answer for. Give an answer to everyone who asks you, right, to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. Do this with what? Listen, do this with what? And respect. Which means today, some of you online and some of you in here should shut off your social media accounts. Because you don't know how to do anything with gentleness and respect on there. And here's the thing. You might think, you might think that you're, you're doing right because you're taking a stand. And you're fighting the right fight. No, you're not. The right fight is recognizing that people need Jesus more than they need you to be right. So what did Jesus do when he suffered for doing right? The Bible says when reviled, he reviled not back. Instead, like a sheep to the slaughter, he went. Look at that. My timer went off and I'm just about done, right? 12 years. It took me 12 years, but I nailed it, right? The Bible says like a sheep to the slaughter, he went without a word. Man, wouldn't it be amazing if Christians just knew how to take a stand? 
but learned how to do it with gentleness and respect. And when suffering, we simply rejoiced in the name of Jesus, right? We simply suffered and rejoiced in the name of Jesus and put our heads down and just kept telling people the reason why we have hope in him. Listen, I've got five children. Four of them are no doubt millennial children within that age generation. One of them is on the high end of it. So I'm going to count five. I've got nine grandchildren, all within that next generation. And Barna did a study this past, this past year. And they, they, they did a survey of, of kids between the ages of 18 and 29, all of them who were from the church. And they did a, they did a, a, a questionnaire and a research project. Thousands of these 18 to 29 year olds. And here's what they found. Listen to this. 64%, 64% of 18 to 29 year olds are now looking for God outside of church. 64% of 18 to 29 year olds who were raised in the church are now looking for God outside the church. We have a problem. And here's the 800 pound gorilla in the room. We are better at knowing how to take a stand than knowing how to take a stand well. Listen, I, I, I want us to be people who take a stand. God wants us to be people who take a stand. You've got no choice. If you're Christian today, man, it's time to take a stand. Get off the fence. But if you think taking the stand is the end all, be all, you've missed the point of taking the stand. Taking the stand is for you. It's about for your commitment. What did Joshua say? As for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. You take a stand for your commitment. But when it comes to the mission, you suffer well. And when you give an answer, you give an answer with gentleness and you give it with respect. Here's what Paul said in Timothy. Second Timothy. In fact, everyone. Everybody say that word. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, if you're going to take a stand, you're going to get persecuted. It don't matter. I read a story this week from northern Syria. <clears throat> a young girl named Maria grew up in a Muslim family, a Muslim village, generations of Muslims. And she came face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ through a missionary. And she was so moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this young lady accepted Jesus in a Kurdish family, that, or a Muslim family that had been Muslim for many generations. She was so excited about her newfound faith and her impending baptism that she posted it on social media. Her uncle and her brother found out and they came to her home and they killed her because of her faith in Jesus. In northern India, a list went out this week, March the 18th. This week, a list went out with the names of 27 pastors on a kill list. Because the people said, we've got to get back to our roots to worshiping the trees and the water and the flowers and our earth. And anybody who participates in converting people to Christianity, we will kill. And they put out a list with the names of 27 specific pastors who preach the gospel. They've killed one, tried to kill a second, and he got away. And there are still 25 on that list. 
Listen, if you're going to take a stand for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. But the Bible says this, that if you're going to take a stand for Jesus and you're going to be persecuted, if it matters to you whether people find Jesus, it's time for us to take a stand well. Learn how to take a stand for Jesus, but do it with gentleness and respect. Because if you can't, then don't say anything at all. Because the most important thing this church will ever do is not take the stand, but make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to... uh, to study your word, to be challenged and convicted by your spirit, to be who you want your church to be. Father, it's a dark world that we live in. There's darkness everywhere. And it seems like that darkness is just growing darker by the minute. Man, you need, you need light. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the light that emanates from this place, from, from this church, from your family, God, right here. Lord, I want us to be people that take a stand. I don't want us to waver on silly issues that the world wants us to debate. I want us to say what Joshua said and Elijah said. I want to say that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But man, I want to do what Peter did and I want to do what Paul did. I want to suffer well for the cause of Christ because I want to see people find Jesus. So God, grow us up to be a church that takes a stand, but takes a stand well. We pray in his name. Amen.